Game, Set, Podcast on the Sports Podcasting Network. You seem at home on the court. Let's say that I've played around. We're going to have a little dance here, Kevin. That's a, that's a catchy little tune. <laughs> it is, and it's talking about love and tennis. What's better than that? Because when I'm playing tennis, I do a lot of uh, loves. A lot. A lot of loves when I'm playing tennis. <laughs> One way or the other, anyway. Eh? Yes, but it's usually my way with the zero. I usually get the donut. I, um, when I played tennis growing up, uh, I was a big server, and I was self-taught, so uh, I, I didn't have lessons until I was in my teenage years. So when I was a kid and I was playing like 10, 11 years old, I, I wanted to be, Boris Becker was my hero. I've told this, this story before on Game Set Podcast, so I always wanted to hammer that ball, and I'm not that tall, so I'm really not set up to play that way, but however, anyways... So I had a lot of the double faults. Um, I would have, you know, one of those like 12 aces, 35 double fault games. That was kind of me, Kevin. Yeah, well, it's a, it's my career in a nutshell, too. Yeah, you got the 12 aces. They matter more than the 35 double faults. Don't yeah. tell me otherwise. Oh, yeah. Like, well, yeah, I, I passed it 15 times. He's like, but yeah, but that's not the point. The point is just <laughs> not to pass the ball. It's to win points after you pass the ball. Ah, gotcha. It's like, yeah, gotcha. I had, How'd you do your tennis game today? Oh, I had 16 winners. I lost uh, one, two, one, but you know, I had 16 winners. It's all good. Uh, You're missing the point of the game, sir. (laughs) You're missing the point of this game. Uh, It's like when I golf, I try to, I was more focused on making nice shots because I I learned that about myself that if I just focused on trying to make four or five nice shots during a round of golf, then I'd be happy and I'd enjoy my beer at the end of the game. If I focus on what my score is, nah, I'm just throwing clubs and there's no way you'll be happy. (laughs) Yeah. Nobody's ever happy playing 123. Hey, Dave. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Let's talk about real players, not us, <laughs> not our, our failed careers. Uh, the the US, sorry, the U.S. Open, the French Open, uh, it gets going. It got going today. Uh, Milos Ronic with uh, the first seeded player on the men's side to uh, to launch his way into the second round. The Canadian hope there. Uh, he, he went in straight sets, so we're, we're looking forward to that. Milos looks to be doing pretty well here in 2016 after an injury rattled 2015 Sage. So we're, we're looking and cheering him on here in Canada. But uh, I think that the real storylines are a little bit far away from Milos, although he is uh, certainly a worthwhile player that could get himself to a round of 16 uh, or round of you know, quarterfinal even. Well, um, we, were we were mentioning, Dwayne, that now Milos is in a this this the place in his career where any tournament he can generate or can come close to an upset and then make himself to the semis. You know, now it's almost expected where the spot of his rankings for him to make it to the quarters and then anything can happen. Uh, a jour sans by the other player and a great day for Milos can see him win and then he's on the semis and anything can happen. We've seen it two years ago. But he's that step in his career is now to be able to be a contender every tournament. Now at least he's for sure usually there's no upset, no injuries. He's at least in the quarters. Exactly. And, and that's a good thing. And I, I don't think people outside of Canada necessarily understand how historical that is and how major of a superstar he is in this country. If Milos were to ever win... Uh, you know, Grand Slam tournament. He, you know, he give him the order of Canada and retire. Basically, he'd he'd be one of the greatest athletes in Canadian history in terms of that single accomplishment. Right? He's However, already the, the best tennis player coming out of this country ever. Yeah, well, exactly. There's no doubt about that. And he's driving it. And it's all part of a long-term player uh, development uh, process that the Tennis Canada went through several years ago. We talked about this before on, on our Five Rings podcast, which this is uh, serving as a dual podcast right now for those that are just listening on the GSP uh, feed. Uh, but 
yeah, it, 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 there are more coming up the pipe, and that's a good thing. But right now, there's so much focus on him, and and we all cheer him on. And it's every every major tournament becomes a big that's all cheer Milos on. It's it's kind of nice to see, and uh, especially uh, it was nice that he could get that win early today on on what is a holiday here in Canada, uh, Victoria Day weekend. We're the only country in the world that celebrates the long dead Queen Victoria of Queen of uh, England, but. Uh, that's uh, that, that's a story for another day, Kevin. That's that's moved to the other part of the draw, though. And I think that really, when it comes down to the French on the men's side, it's all about Djokovic and whether he can get that career Grand Slam. And it's hard to imagine anyone stopping him. Yeah, because well, Djokovic beat Nadal in the semis, what in uh, Rome a week and a half ago, before losing to Murray in the finals. And it's kind of weird because Madrid and Rome are the two big preparation tournament and the last two big tournament before Gran Lagaros on clay for that short clay season they have in the spring and like Djokovic was getting better and better more confident and was able to get results and get close to Nadal and finally beats Nadal to lose in the final to Andy Murray who seemed revitalized he doesn't have a coach for now. Him and Amélie Moresmo have decided to part ways. It was hard for her to do the traveling after four years of being the coach of Andy Murray. The, the, uh, the separation was fine. It wasn't in an argument and he uh, left each other on good terms. Murray's looking for an eventual coach that could have more time to dedicate to his career. And that's not a knock on Moresmo. It's just what reality is, according to him. But still, Andy Murray played in a final on clay against Djokovic. Just first of all, for Murray to beat Djokovic on any surface on a final, in a final game, it's almost a miracle because there's there's that mental barrier when you're playing Djokovic in a final. But on top of that, he did that on clay. So who knows? We Well, Djokovic and Nadal are in the same quadrant. So they would face, well, not quadrant, but they're the same Half Same. of the, yeah. the the bracket they would face in the semis, so you could have an Andy Murray, Djokovic final, and Murray could beat Djokovic again. Yeah, you know, and Andy Murray certainly, I think, over the past couple of years has, has absolutely emerged as, as the clear number two. And this the the other major talking point on the men's side is Federer is not in this draw, first time since this, first time in this millennial that he has not been in a Grand Slam tournament, <laughs> yeah, and that's wow. that's unfortunate. But it, you know, all things end, right? Yeah, all things end, but well, what just tells you the Iron Man type of career that uh, Federer has when it's the first time in 18, 17 years that he is not in a Grand Slam tournament. That's just crazy. This is 17, yeah, 99 was the last one he missed. Um, and, you know, quickly, let's talk about Federer. Is this the final year for him? It's hard to understand that, hard to tell that. But if he's missing tournaments because of his of his back right now, then you have to think that the end has got to be, you know, soon. Whether he wants to play out that season, uh, you know, play maybe and, and retire at the end of the U.S. Open, that would be something that uh, that you might see him do. Although this is a player that if he's healthy, I could see him playing until they have to – carry him off the court because he just he's just such a smart player in how he plays that um, he can play a little later in life, Kevin. It's not just about physicality with him. It's not about athleticism. He doesn't win points because he runs and gets the ball. He wins the points because he's positioned correctly and he anticipates the play and he knows the game in and out and the not the shortcuts, but the little things he can do to compensate for his lack of speed or athleticism because of age. 
It's interesting to see if it's going to be his last year or not. Is there anything for him to prove? Is there any records left for him to beat? It, does he really want to get that one over Djokovic, which he hasn't really done over the last, what, five years already? So maybe that's the last accomplishment that he wants to do before leaving. And maybe he can do it once this year. Last year was probably his best shot at the U.S. Open, if I remember correctly. And he actually lost to Federer because Federer was just dominating. So, uh, sorry, yeah, Djokovic. Federer lost to Djokovic because Djokovic was so dominating. So for Federer, what's left to do? What's left to prove? There's nothing. There's nothing more he can achieve. And before you go down the road of not putting a shame in your career, but before you go down that hill too quickly and you start losing match and losing in the first round all the time, you can always leave at the one of the at the highest part of your career when you're still in the top five of the world and leave on a high note. Yeah, I'm reminded of Andre Agassi's retirement, and he was a player that was a scrapper, right? And so it was kind of okay the way Agassi went out. He was battling, and the fact that he might, you know, battle his way to a quarterfinal around a 16 when he was old and broken down, and by old I mean you know mid 30s. It's kind of depressing what they consider old in tennis, but at any rate. Um, that's kind of fit his personality as a scrapper and as a guy that always was at odds with the game anyway, whereas Federer was that such classy player that it, it's hard to ever imagine him like, you know, getting that moral five set loss in the round of 16 at a major tournament. I, like, I don't know if I could see that out of him, but he just every time you count the guy out, uh, he tends to have another revitalization. And that's my only caveat there. But I, I do think that you could probably set odds on whether he might retire at the end of the French this or end of the U.S. this year, Kevin. Well, yeah. And the odds would probably be, well, who knows? Nobody knows. But again, just to finish on, on Nadal and Djokovic. Nadal has came back a little bit, Dwayne, this year. Over the last few uh, weeks and months, I should say, has came back to the form we know of Nadal. Physically, he still looks a lot different than the years prior. I'm not saying this to raise any questions or to raise flags or to... I'm not making any allegations either. I'm just actually raising a red flag where it's kind of weird. Let's see how his play changes because there's two possibilities of this thing. Why why it could happen and why his uh, physical demeanor change has happened. Two ways. One does include PED. That's the number one. And I'm going to not disregard this. It's a possibility. It's an hypothesis. It's a, it's an idea. But I don't want to touch it because there's no proof. And when there's no proof and there's nothing, I don't want to talk about it. But the other way is, did his playing style change? And that could be possible because of the way he was playing earlier on in his career when he was young. Balls out to the court, trying to get every ball on the other side of that net. Jumping, diving, stretching splitting, doing anything on the court to return that ball takes a toll. It takes a toll on your body. And it takes a toll on your ligament because of the muscles are overused, overtaxed. Eventually, if you want to get rid of those injuries, you actually need to change your play accordingly. You need to be more choosing of which battle you're going to take on the court, which ball you're going to run for 100%, which ball you're going to save your energy for. And that's going to be interesting. Maybe that's what the change is. He is more experienced, yes, but he changed the way he approaches the game. So I'm really going to have a magnifying glass on how Nadal plays in 2016 now compared to a few years ago. Because if he wants to be good going forward and keep it in time, keeping that healthy, that uh, not not injured basically at 100% form, he needs to change his style of play. So that's going to be interesting for me to 
Yeah, I'll I go this far with Nadal is that if he can't have a run in this French Open, then I'm prepared uh, to to call it. I'm prepared to to call it done with him. That that you could put the pin in it, right? Because I I think that this is a guy, as you said, that his body is just completely broken down, and he he was such a, an exciting and vibrant player in the way that he played. But as you say, it took a toll on the body, and sometimes you have to take points off in tennis. It's just the reality. Sometimes you have to take games off. Hell, sometimes you have to take sets off if you want to maintain your long term yeah. uh, health and career. And in this, this, just not a guy that can. To his credit, not a guy that could do that, but. Maybe not. Uh, maybe it might be broken down. Maybe it might be over now. And uh, and if he doesn't, like I said, this is his tournament. This has always been his tournament. If he can't make a run, he's the number four seed. He's well positioned. But if he can't make a run this time, maybe you put the pin in it, Kevin. No, yeah, it reminds me of Tiger Woods in the golf side of things. Just because, uh, yeah, right now Nadal is in a way better spot than Tiger Woods is. But the, the fact is, example, Tiger Woods last week was talking about in the tournament that he hosted, but he can't play. His back is all all whacked out. There's muscles that are too strong. Shouldn't be. It's, it's like everything wrong, and you just can't swing a golf club correctly. It's the ball. Anyways, but it's the same type of thing. When you get older, what got you to the dance doesn't work for you anymore because you can't pull that off, and you need to change your game accordingly. And I think Nadal is getting to this point of his career, early, late, late 20s, early 30s now for Nadal. He's getting to a point where if he wants to be effective, he needs to learn to do that transition from, hey, I've been playing like this since I've been 12 and it got me here to, okay, if I want to stay here, I need to eat the next evolution, the next step of the career or the play of Nadal to be in effect to keep up with the young guys now. Yeah, it was the, speaking of, before we, we get the prediction on the men's side and then move to the women's side, I'll... Uh, I'll just quick the Tiger Woods stuff that quick and opens uh, when he was there doing the promo wow. for it. Oh, it was depressing. I didn't. I never liked Tiger Woods. I was never a fan. Um, probably because I'm always contrarian and I generally cheer for underdogs. But when I, yeah, it, it was still cheering, even right? as a non-fan, it was depressing to watch him hit three straight balls out of the water there. <laughs> you saw the. I wasn't sure if you were talking about the actual press conference or him hitting three balls. And you're yeah. like, dude, what did you go for for a second time? Why did you try it a third time? It was ah. Uh, it was like. Yeah. You look good. Like he looks in shape. He looks physically looks fine, but it's deeper. It's the muscles. It's the it, it's the way the his ba- his back is not constructed after surgeries, after weird. Uh, when you have a surgery, you have certain muscle that atrophy, so other muscles take over and they create links between muscles that shouldn't be there. It's just a whole mess, and you saw that in those three three straight balls into the water on a hundred yard shot. Yeah, well, he needed a bigger club probably, and the pride probably wouldn't let him do that, right? And uh, that ties into what we're talking about with Nadal. Can the pride let you change your game? Can your pride let any player change the game that was once at the top level so that they can compete at a different at a different part of the game, a different level of the game? And that's always hard to do when you were once at the top. But uh, let's end our men's conversation with, with predictions. And look, I, I said it earlier, I, Djokovic to me, I mean, Murray beat him, yeah, and that'll happen here and there, but... A Grand Slam final, as I've watched Djokovic to finish off his career Grand Slam, uh, you know, it's boring, but I, it's got to be his to lose at this point, in my opinion. Kevin, do you any any different thought? To answer that question, Dwayne, I'm going to refer to one of the greatest quotes in human history. To be the man, you got to beat the man. And until somebody beats Djokovic in a final of a Grand Slam now... I'm going to have to go for Djokovic. So I have to agree with you there. 
Woo! <laughs> All right, a little Ric Flair reference for the day. That's uh, that's moved to the women's side of the draw, and it gets boring too. It, well, Serena Williams is trying to um, win her fourth French Open and her twenty-second overall major title. That would tie Steffi Graf in the Open era for the for the most major titles in the Open era, and that's a significant accomplishment. And this is a woman who I think, when she's motivated, is very hard to beat. It's hard to get inside her head. I think that she's almost bored by the game at times. Uh, then again, you know, just as we thought she was cruising in Australia to, to tie that record, it fell apart in the final. So I'm not willing to like say it's it's a it's a straight shot, and she has a pretty tough draw actually. A lot of the the top players on her side of the draw, but still, I mean, it's Serena and everyone else until someone else steps up to to play play that. Um, constant rival that can always challenge her, Kevin. And exactly, and she did it twice this year, twice in big tournaments. It was Australia and Indian Wells. Indian Wells, one of the only tournaments in the year to have both the men and the women gathered at the same tournament outside of a Grand Slam. She did the same as in Australia. Gets to the final and lays an egg, gets beaten in the final. Even though she was dominating so much and losing the final and It was so weird and so like an outlier result that people were actually starting to question the result yeah. and looking at gambling results to make sure nobody bet on this game to make sure it wasn't an outlier. Nothing has ever been found, but it was so weird that investigations, I mean, were open. So what's going to happen to like Alice? Will she put the pedal to the floor and just go through the whole field, finals included? Or now it happened twice in two big tournaments in 2016. If she makes it to the final... It's going to be interesting to see if she loses to an underdog because the underdog is more motivated or something. Or that's good. What that's the interesting storyline on the women's side for me. Yeah, you know, it's look. It's it's a, both a product of the times and a product of how dominant she is. That yeah. that the fact that she could lose two finals in a row, a, a, a Masters final and a Grand Slam final, that people might think that there was something untoward happening. That that speaks to how good this woman is, right? Over yes, or how cynical we have become over the years. Yeah. Again, look, I, we're not here to, to say one way or the other on something like that, to be honest with you. And it's kind of sad that I have to say one way or the other because, you know, there are there are concerns there. And, and we talked about them a lot during the Australian Open. I don't think there's any evidence that Serena did that. I think it's probably it's probably more to me her final problems. The fact that she gets and you go right back to the U.S. Open last year too, right? include that in it, that she gets to a final and the woman she's playing the intensity level that they are bringing at that moment, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity for them. Whereas she knows, Serena knows that it's just part of everyday life to her. It's almost just like another game. So can she match that level of intensity that a woman is going to bring in a final when they know it's my one shot, here it is. I win this game. I know I only beat Serena once every hundred times I play her, but if this this is the one in a hundred, I win the grand slam. That's a hard intensity to reach when, as you said, as I started this, you might be getting bored with tennis at some level, right? Well, yeah, and when your only challenge of the whole tournament is the final, if you don't get challenged or tested before the final, the one time you get tested, you just might say, oh, screw it, I'm just going to lose this game. I made it here anyways. Yeah, and well, the other part of that too is if you mentally, and though there's been no evidence of this really prior to recently, uh, can you overcome when you're challenged? If you're not ever challenged, how do you react when you are? And if you look at the last three, if, including Indian Wells, the last two Grand Slams plus that Masters final, 
you know, she hasn't responded well to, to that pressure. So that is the question. It's Serena versus herself in this tournament. And that is really what it comes down to in my mind. Um, whether I'm willing to predict her to win, I honestly at this point wouldn't. I think she is, but I wouldn't put any money on it to continue the gambling conversation, Kevin. No, exactly. I feel the same way. All right. Um, briefly on that, uh, uh, the gambling stuff will continue to be an issue. It uh, Tennis has done, I guess, a quote-unquote good job in the sense that it's not really front and center right now. I think mean, that's unfortunate because we do need to face that stuff head on. Um, that said, I'm not going to belabor it right now. We talked a lot about it. During the Australian Open, if you want to go back in our archives, if you're just discovering Game Set Podcast right now and you want to go back and hear our thoughts, uh, this podcast is, is designed to be a podcast that happens during the major events, and we were last doing this regularly during the Australian Open in January. So just go back in our January archives, and you can hear those conversations there. Absolutely, right. All right. Um, overall thoughts on the French, Kevin. We'll end it there. Is it's always been like Wimbledon is my favorite event and I think it's most people's favorite event, but the French is a unique sort of event on the sporting scale around in the whole world and all of sport because of the clay, because it's such a different challenge for these people. And it's one of the things I love about it. I love about tennis is how the different surfaces and the the way the season ebbs and flows. And it's a 12 month sport that it, it just gives a different look out there. And it's a lot of fun, and there's always the chance that someone you've never heard of, they're usually Spanish, will step up and go deep in this tournament. Especially, I love that part. Well, yeah, I remember the late 90s, early 2000s, when I was in my late teens and starting to appreciate sports outside of, oh, that guy's so good. Outside of that, like appreciating sports for the storylines, for the good guy, the bad guy, the underdog that's coming out of nowhere. And usually, like you mentioned, you had a Spanish out of nowhere, a Del Potro or whoever it was in the late 90s, early 2000s, coming out of nowhere to achieve a great result, usually in Paris, in Roland Garros, and eventually after that, gets results elsewhere. But it started for the young young Spanish or young, very agile athletic tennis men, started in Roland Garros, and it's special. And when you're a kid and you're watching this tournament to the slides of the player returning the ball, the atmosphere, the, the feeling of the clay, because the clay does enhance the tennis in a way. Because when the players run, you have the dust of the clay coming off. It really shows on TV. It looks good in HD as well. The, the replay of the ball hitting the clay, the dust coming off, it's, it makes it more spectacular. So when you're watching those clay matches, there's a lot of things to catch the eye and the play usually is at that level too. All right, Kevin. On that note, normally uh, because we are a Canadian show as well as a, we look out, outward and we look around the world, but we are a Canadian show. So normally we would have talked about the 46th ranked women's player in the world. But until she gets back in the top 20, I think I'm just going to let that play out and see if anything is worth talking about. Uh, you, you, you okay with that one, Kevin? Yeah, absolutely. She has a decent draw. We'll see uh, what happens in her match today, I think. All right. This is uh, has been Game Set Podcast, which has been included in the Five Rings Olympic podcast that we do because we always talk about tennis in the Five Rings show as well. Uh, we're going to clip this, put it out as our own show. Uh, if you're listening to Five Rings, we'll be right back with a, a conversation about boycotts and about a whole bunch of really dark and horrible subjects. But if you're just listening to the Game Set Podcast, we'll be back a little later on in the week uh, to talk about the draw, to talk about how things are going. And uh, we'll be back three, four times during the course of the French Open, Kevin. On that note, I'll say goodbye, and uh, there you go. 